Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the Curtain Jerkers. I, of course, am talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. We are on to our third fight card in about a week, and we hope you guys have been enjoying all of our breakdowns of the prelims. Of course, you can catch the breakdowns of our first two prelims and see how well we did if you'd like to go back and listen. But today is focused on UFC 257, Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. Of course, while you're probably very interested in that main event and that pay-per-view, we will be breaking down the fights that happened before the pay-per-view. That's right, a show completely dedicated to the prelims. Now, for those of you who might be new to the show, listening for the first time, you're probably wondering, why just the prelims? Why not give us what we came for, Conor McGregor? And the answer is really simple. The answer is, you know Conor McGregor, you know Dustin Poirier, you probably know Dan Hooker and Michael Chandler, but you probably don't know a lot of these names on the prelim portion of the card, and that's where we're here for. We're here to help you. If you're playing daily fantasy sports, gambling, or maybe you just want a little bit of insight, we're here to give you the insight on those fighters you don't know much about. And speaking of getting lots of great insights, especially with gambling and daily fantasy sports, this episode of the prelim primer is brought to you by ajsmmabetting.com which of course you can find that link in the show notes let me tell you something aj has breakdowns and analysis that are putting the other guys to shame because he's doing more for you than just giving you his picks every week so that you can tail them instead he gives you an education and insight so that you can make informed decisions grow that bankroll and continually have success why go to an anonymous tipster who's just throwing you blind ideas when you can go to a proven winner like aj Plus, now AJ is giving you all of his analysis for free, write-ups, audio, all kinds of stuff. What's there to lose for free betting analysis other than the bad decisions you've been making week after week anyway? So go ahead and follow him at AJ's MMA Betting on Twitter and, of course, at AJ'sMMABetting.com. Now, in order to break down these UFC 257 prelims, I, of course, have to be joined by a co-host. Joining me today from the Fixed Fight Podcast with Kurt and Ben, Benjamin Abrigo. Benjamin, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, man. And as you guys know, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Nazrat Hakparas versus Armin Sarkirian. So Hakparas has won four of five with just a loss to Drew Dober in there. He last beat Alexander Munoz. Sarkirian, meanwhile, lost to Islam Makachev in his debut, but rebounded with wins over Olivier Aubon Mercier and Davi Hamosh. So the interesting thing here for me for Sarkurian is he's done so well against grapplers. Even Makachev, he was able to take down once. Do you expect him to lean on his wrestling here, or do you expect him to engage Hakparast in a little bit of striking? Honestly, man, I'm super high on Armand Sarukian. I do think he's probably going to lean on his wrestling here, but I think he's going to set it up with striking. Um, And he's actually a really talented kickboxer from everything I've seen um, so far. Not to take anything away from... Hawk Frost, who has just beautiful hand speed and, and obviously tons of power and kind of that reckless abandon that you want from a younger fighter. But I think Sarukian is really, really technical on the feet to the point where he's not going to make mistakes. And yeah, like you brought up, I think his wrestling here is going to be key. And I do think he can get Hawk Frost down, especially once he gets Hawk Frost uh, sitting down on his like counters. Absolutely. And I was going to say that too. I think with the way Sarkarian moves forward, it plays well into Hawk Frost's counters and he's going to start to feel comfortable once he gets really comfortable there that's when i think he's about to be in trouble and and even if he has success in sitting down on some of those counters like you said 
I think that's where the problem comes too, because even if he's successful, if he stings Sarkarian once or twice, or he feels that power that the Hakparas clearly has, he's going to say, to hell with this. I'm just going to do what I know best. I'm going to do what I know will work against this guy. And he's going to out-wrestle him. And I, I think pretty easily. Now, I guess the question comes, though, do you see him being able to get somebody like Hakparas out there? I mean, he's only lost one time in his last five fights. It was Drew Dober, who's a ranked lightweight. Do you feel like Sarkurian is the type who could get him out? Maybe, but I honestly, I would be pretty shocked. I mean, I, I see this as like a dogfight through and through. I do, I am favoring Sarukian, obviously, but like um, this is zero easy fight for him. Um, I would be pretty shocked if he gets Hawk Parast out of there, but, you know, I guess he has that that KO loss. I see it more of, of a really scrappy, maybe 30-27, maybe 29-28, but I see a, a close but clear decision. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, too, that Sarkurian, uh, not a guy who's put a lot of people away, too. I mean, like, he, he put nobody in the UFC away. I mean, he has, I guess he does have 10 out of his 15 wins are, are by finish of some sort. But, like, when he fights the high-level competition, even not outside in the UFC, you know, outside the UFC, he fought Junior Asuncao. Uh, You know, even that one was a decision. He fought Takanori Sato. That was a decision. So, you know, when he fights that high-level competition and people are harder to get out of there, he, he does wind up in a, a pretty clear, but but a decision nevertheless. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to our second fight, which is Brad Tavares versus Antonio Carlos Jr. Tavares dropped back-to-back fights against Israel Adesanya and Edmund Shabazian. His last win comes in April of 2018. Antonio Carlos Jr., same thing. He's dropped back-to-back fights. Uh, him against Ian Heinish and Uriah Hall. His last win was actually on the same exact card as Brad Tavares' <laughs> last win, which was Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje, if you want to go way, way back. <laughs> so here's my question to you. Obviously, Shoeface, world-class on the ground. He's he's maybe one of the better pure grapplers in that middleweight division. Tavares seems to avoid the grappling fairly well, though. Does Antonio Carlos Jr. stand a chance if this stays on the feet? Um, I think he stands a chance to not get knocked out because I think Tavares is not a huge puncher on the feet. But obviously, I think Tavares has the advantage there on the feet. Um, I, I can't stop myself from being high on shoe face. Maybe you're the same way, but like you see that guy taking the back. You see what he can what he's capable of on the ground. Um, and it's hard for me to not just constantly pick him in basically every matchup. Um, and I'm kind of going to do that here basically because I think Tavares, at least in this point in, in his career, doesn't have the firepower to really wear down Shoeface and or knock him out early. So I think Shoeface might be able to scramble to the back just a couple of times, just enough to to control the fight. Maybe he gets a submission. Um, that would also kind of surprise me. But, you know, as you started off, both these guys coming off back-to-back losses, and, and they haven't won in a hot second, so it's kind of hard to get a read on this fight. But skills-wise, I always shoe face. Yeah, and I, you said it at the beginning. I, you wondered if I was exactly the same. I am exactly the same. I just, <laughs> just want to love shoe face, and I want to see him like catapult to the top of the division. And, and it's worth noting here, not only does he have phenomenal back takes, but he's also a guy who took Marvin Vittori down four times, which, you know, in retrospect, is an amazing performance. And yeah, he didn't look great against Ian Heinish. Heinish was able to neutralize that. He did get Uriah Hall down a couple of times, but couldn't do much with it. I think here he probably gets Brad Tavares down. Is it successful enough, if not to get the finish, to, to, to win by decision? So I'm going to take Antonio Carlos Jr. as well. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We'll be right back with round number two after a quick word from our sponsors. 
Alright guys, let me tell you about my favorite feature of the breakdowns that you get from AJ at AJ'sMMABetting.com. He sends them out with all of his picks, and when he sends you those picks in the lines that he's got on them, he lets you know the implied probability. So for instance, if the line comes in at a certain number, he can tell you if 20% likely to win, 40% likely to win. And then he breaks down where he would have it so that you can see the value in the pick. That's education that you can't get very many places. In even fewer places can you get that for free. AJ's giving you that all for free, and that knowledge gives me faith in his process because, let's face it, gambling isn't all about your big hit from last week. It is about continued success and growing that bankroll. And let me tell you something. He's got loads of picks that are live right now if you want to grow your bankroll. So head on over to AJ's AJsMMABetting.com, and you can also check him out, of course, on Twitter, at AJMMABetting. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Juliana Pena versus Sarah McMahon. So Pena took a, quite a long time off as she had her first child. She came back. She beat Nico Montano, lost to Jermaine Durandamine by guillotine back in October, which was very surprising to everybody. McMahon also had the same exact kind of layoff. She returned in January to beat Lana Landsberg, but has been off for almost a year again as well. So Here's the question for this one. Juliana Pena, taken down three times by Nico Montano, who I don't personally think of as a phenomenal wrestler. Is there any chance she survives the takedown attempts of Sarah McMahon here? I Generally, I think no. I think they're, they're very similar fighters, and McMahon is just kind of better at almost everything. Um, to answer your question more directly, though, I do think both of these women actually kind of panic in bad spots or when things go wrong in a scramble, uh, they tend to make those big mistakes. Uh, so if Pena kind of latches onto a guillotine or maybe starts to win a scramble, I think we've seen out of both of them, honestly, that if they get in bad spots, their opponents can capitalize um, quickly. So I wouldn't count out Pena maybe winning one or two of those those wrestling exchanges and kind of getting the better of McMahon. But more times than not, it's hard for me to imagine Sarah McMahon not kind of pressing forward, securing a double leg, and staying on top for long periods of time. And that's interesting, too, to me. I, I hadn't even thought of that that aspect of Sarah McMahon's game, that, yeah, they, they both do seem to panic in bad situations, which is why Sarah McMahon had wound up, you know, getting choked out by Ketlin Vieira and, and Marion Renault, who typically you wouldn't think of as somebody who, who could clearly submit her, uh, being the, the great wrestler that she is. But yeah, ultimately, I'm agreeing with you on this one. I think Sarah McMahon is just the type of fighter who's going to be more relentless with those, in, with the exception of, you know, a fluke submission, like we talked about with Marianne Renault. I think this is probably hers to win by decision. I don't see uh, Juliana Pena making a mistake big enough for her to get subbed. So I'm going to go with Sarah McMahon by decision. How about you? How do you see her getting it done? You know, I'm actually going to go out on a limb, and, and I think Sarah McMahon subs her just because I think McMahon will drown Pena pretty quickly on the mat, which will kind of induce one of those panic reactions from Pena, and I, I see McMahon latching on to, like, a head and arm choke. I could definitely see that, and that would be the submission I went with as well if she was going to get one. And that moves us to our second fight, which is Andrew Sanchez versus Mahmoud Muradov. Sanchez 3-1 and one in his last four with only a loss to Marvin Vittori, which, as I said earlier, looks really great in retrospect. Most recently, he knocked out Wellington Terman back in August. Muradov, meanwhile, 2-0 in the UFC with wins over Alessio DeCirico, which, again, in retrospect, looks pretty good. And Trevor Smith, although that last win was in December of 2019, so a little bit of a layoff for Muradov. 
Now, the question here is that, like, I guess I just don't know where to start on this one. One guy on a huge layoff. The other guy uh, seems like a different fighter every time out, right? Like, Andrew Sanchez, how do you put, like, words to what he looks like? So, I'm going to leave it up to you. What is the interesting part of this fight that you think we should break down? Um, You know, I I think the key to this fight is going to be Sanchez's willingness to exchange on the feet, which I think is going to get him into trouble here. I'm pretty high on Muradov. He has, like phenomenal length for the division big power um and like kind of clear finishing instincts you know looking at his record i guess he has some decisions in there but i think andrew sanchez yes he's coming off that huge knockout against wellington Terman, but that was a fight where he's like leading with his face into punches <laughs> and i just i i do not see him getting away with that against Murdov, nor do i see him consistently leaning on a wrestling attack especially because you know there's there's questions about andrew sanchez's um Gas tank. I think the only kind of the reason this is maybe a little bit closer on the odds is because Muradov's layoff. But I see Andrew Sanchez kind of being a little overconfident on the feet and Muradov catching him with with a big strike. And I actually think that that's probably why we see a different Andrew Sanchez every time. Right. Because when something works, he's like, oh, I'm a striker now. Right. Like, or, or if like, you know, he landed a couple of takedowns or some leg kicks, he's like, oh, I'm the guy who throws leg kicks now. And like, I feel like that worked really poorly for him. If, if you go way, way back in that Ryan James fight where he like poured it all on early and then just had nothing left. It's because the fight before he looked really great pouring it all on. So yeah, I could definitely see that. The interesting thing to me though, is I don't know what Mahmoud Muradov's takedown defense looks like. Yes, he stuffed Alessio DeChirico a couple of times, but, like, do I think Alessio DeChirico is a guy who's wrestling I want to talk about? Not particularly. You know, <laughs> he stuffed Trevor Smith once. Like, Trevor Smith, it feels like he's 45 years old at this point. He looks, <laughs> he looks 45 years old. Uh, and even then, like, it took him 14 minutes to finish Trevor Smith. So I don't know what he looks like against a wrestler. And like you said, maybe Andrew Sanchez isn't going to do enough of that consistent wrestling to win. But I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to take Andrew Sanchez here because I think he can probably get Muradov down. And if he does, I think he's going to be able to hold him there long enough because I think Muradov is going to try stuff off of his back. I could totally be wrong here because he hasn't conceded a takedown in the UFC, but that's my gut feeling. Uh, You said Muradov. How do you see him getting it done? I'm I'm going to go by... um... Like second round TKO sounds about right to me. I will say I I'm not confident in his wrestling either. I think how I see him doing it is basically what he get, did against Trevor Smith, which is move a ton. Um, and hopefully he can do that um, for my you know for my pick to be correct. I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and that's gonna do it for the end of our second round. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with round number three. Hey guys, just listen to what subscribers are saying about AJ'sMMABetting.com. I've been following AJ for several months and he is ultra impressive, but honestly his winning selections and return on investment are not even the main reasons. It's his breakdown and understandings of matchups that impress me the most. It can be hard to separate out your emotions and your favorite fighters in this crazy fight game, but AJ seems to be able to really objectively break down each fight with pinpoint accuracy and not let his emotions get in the way. He comes highly recommended in my book and that is a real Honest to God, subscriber, his name's George. George telling you exactly what he loves about AJ's MMA betting. And let me tell you something. You can be a subscriber for free right now at AJ'sMMABetting.com. And we think you will highly, highly enjoy what you get out of that free investment. So head on over there now. And of course, follow him at AJ's MMA Betting on Twitter. 
And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this one by talking about Khalil Roundtree versus Marcin Procneo. So Roundtree, two and two in his last four. He's alternated wins and losses. His last fight was a loss to Ian Kudalaba. That was all the way back in September of 2019. So a year and a half off for him. Procneo, meanwhile, 0-3 in the UFC. He's been knocked out in the first round all three times. Once by Sam Alvey, once by Magomed Angelev, and once by Mike Rodriguez. So I'm going to start it right here. Is there any chance that Marcin Procneo sees a second round for the first time in his UFC career? Uh, no. Is it, is, it too, <laughs> is it too mean to say no? Like, I this is super weird booking. I don't entirely understand it. And, yeah, I you know, I would be pretty shocked. Unless Roundtree comes out and wants to carry him or, like, toy with him, it's hard for me to see um, Procneo not, you know, Staying in there past the five-minute mark. Yeah, and I would just say this, too. Roundtree looked like an absolute new person when he fought Eric Anders. He had moved to Tiger Muay Thai. He had kind of that more fun Muay Thai stance and threw some more elbows and, and had kind of just like a different overall game. He looked great doing it. The loss to Kudalaba was really because he couldn't defend the takedown. He's getting a guy here who's not going to threaten him with takedowns and is just going to let him be the good version of himself that beat Eric Anders. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm taking Khalil Roundtree here. First round knockout is an easy pick. And that brings us to our second fight, which is Amir Albazi versus Zalga Zumagulov. So Albazi debuted against Malcolm Gordon back in July. He picked up a triangle choke victory. Zumagulov, meanwhile, lost to Ralan Paivia back in July. Uh, that was his debut as well. So, obviously, Albezi, the one getting the win in his debut, Zumagulov, is the favorite in this fight, though, obviously. Maybe that's due to the tougher competition. Or, But tell me a, a little bit about why people might be higher on the Kazakh here. Um, you know, Zumagulov has this, like, super deep regional background that he, that he brought to the UFC. Um, and like you said, he has, you know, pretty pretty high level of competition outside of the UFC. I'm going to be honest, though, he didn't really, and maybe it was UFC jitters, he didn't entirely impress me in his UFC debut. I know he was ranked, I think Paiva was was ranked in the top 15 when they fought. So, you know, no shame in losing there. But he's a guy who I think can overwhelm a lot of guys with his wrestling and just his raw physicality. But he is still super reckless on the feet. Um, I didn't see a ton of, like, setting setups to his takedowns. Um, and then on the flip side, I'm actually kind of high on Albazi, who is super thick for the weight class. Um, what is he? He trains with um, he trained in Switzerland or in in with like Gustafson and those guys, I believe. I could be wrong. I think um, so. But I think he also does some cross training at that London shoot fighters. Exactly. Which is, has got some like big names in there as well. I think that's where Michael Venom Page is. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty high on Albazi's skill set, honestly. You know, a good grappler. I think he's going to be able to deal with Zuma Gulov's wrestling um, and hurt him on the feet. We don't know a ton about either one of these guys, but I actually was not – I was underwhelmed by Zuma Gulov's UFC debut. I'll say that. I, I definitely agree with you on that too. And the, the interesting thing to me was it just seemed like very, very basic footwork and very <laughs> simple jabs or, or, you know, like stick them and move type things completely perplexed him. It, lo it looked like – he didn't have an answer for somebody who does the right things on the feet. And I have enough faith in Amir Albazi that Amir Albazi does enough of the right things on the feet. And I also think he's very physically strong that he'll be able to stay away from a lot of takedowns and the takedowns that get brought in, he'll be strong enough and, and sort of technical enough to get out of. So I'm going to take Albazi here being a flyweight fight. I think I am going to say uh, by decision, how do you see him getting it done? I basically 100% agree with your analysis. I, I got Albazi by decision here. 
All right, and that leads us with our last fight, which is Mozart Evloev versus Nick Lentz. Evloev, 3-0 in the UFC. All decisions, one over Sung Wu Choi, one over Enrique Barzola, and one over Mike Grundy. Nick Lentz, meanwhile, last won in February of 2019. That was over Scott Holtzman. Since then, he has back-to-back losses against Charles Oliveira and Arnold Amwin, which are two pretty damn good names for him to have on his resume. Now, if you look at most of Nick Lentz's resume and you look at what has allowed him to win, he mostly wins when he out-wrestles his opponent, kind of like he did Scott Holtzman. He was able to use that physicality and beat him there. Is there any chance he does that to Mozart Evloev? I don't, I don't think he does it that way, for sure not. Um, and, you know, I think Evloev here is a, is a pretty big favorite for a reason. He's an absolute stud wrestler. I think just technically speaking, he's probably a better overall wrestler than Nick Lentz. And he is also a stud athlete. He's going to have a huge speed advantage on the feet. I will say, like, the odds here with, with Evloev minus 400, minus 450 seem a little wide to me. I will say also that, Evloev kind of has that tendency when he's getting back to his feet, if he is taken down, um, of kind of giving his neck out there. And I, you know, if you want to, like, take a crazy flyer bet, I think Nick Lentz by submission isn't, like, the craziest thing in the world to happen in this fight. But in general, in general, I'm super high on Evloev. And I I do think, you know, he's probably going to win this fight. But it's a little bit closer, I think, than the odds. Yeah, if I'm just straight up picking this fight, I'm definitely taking Evloev. But it's interesting that you said that, too, because... You're right. He, If he does get taken down, he is a little bit sloppy in getting back up, and he always does get back up. But you look at the guys who've taken him down before, Mike Grundy, like not a submission threat per se, right? Enrique Barzola, again, a positional wrestler with without, again, too many submissions on his record. So like the guys who have been able to go after him with takedowns, not the ones you would expect for submission. So it's interesting that you say that. I, I think you're right. Nick Lentz, by submission would probably be a fun flyer bet, but ultimately, if I have to pick this fight from like a straight-up standpoint, I'm not looking at the odds. Mozart Evloev by decision is a pretty clear-cut pick for me. Uh, how about you? Are you think it's decision again here for Evloev? I, I do, or I wouldn't be shocked if he gets a late stoppage. Nick Lentz is pretty long in the tooth, and it's hard to you know imagine a 15-minute fight with a stud like Evloev and, and him surviving that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And that's going to do it for our seventh fight on these prelims. We hope you guys enjoyed the breakdown. Uh, Once again, I was joined by Benjamin Abrigo from the Fixed Fight Podcast with Kurt and Ben. Ben, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you.